We will continue our series in Jonah. I think we'll go four more weeks, including today. That'll be five weeks that we'll spend on Jonah. I introduced the book last week, and we talked about chapters one through, or verses one through three. Today we'll pick up at four, and we'll carry on all the way through verse 17. As we begin, I want to ask you a question. I want you to, to go with me for a moment and think about the, the concept of sin. I know that's not a fun thing to ponder upon, but it's one of the most healthiest things we can do as a people, is to truly understand what sin is, so that we truly understand where we are. And we need to rightly understand and and apply Jonah's book to us, and we can only do that when we understand sin and how it is in our life as well. So think with me for a moment about sin. How would you define sin? you ever come up with a definition for it? Don't take that word for granted. We need to know a definition. Here's what I came up with last fall. I think that sin is a personal decision not to conform to the commands, statutes, or precepts of God in our words, our actions, and our thoughts. So it's a personal decision. The devil didn't make me do it. I personally chose to wrong God. And it is, it, it is not conforming to his commands and his statutes and his precepts. And it is done so through our words and our actions. And oh, let me tell you, with our thoughts. So that is a, a good, I think, biblically faithful definition of sin. And what I want to lift out to you this morning in that definition is that sin is against God, first and foremost. It's not against man. While it is secondarily, sin is against God. When we do things wrong against God's command, they're wrong because God said they're wrong, not because a man said they're wrong. So when we sin, we have wronged God. And then secondly, when we sin against one another, we have wronged one another, but it's only sin because it was against God. Now, I've got biblical support for this. I look into the life of David. David, as you may know, failed with Bathsheba, committed adultery. Then he bore false witness because he tried to trick her husband Uriah into getting into the place of him and her circumstances. And then at the end, David has Uriah murdered in battle. That's three of the Ten Commandments right there. And David is confronted by the prophet Nathan. And Nathan says, you are the man that I am referring to. And David's response is huge, huge. Because he says in 2 Samuel chapter 12, I have sinned against God. Not Bathsheba, not Uriah, not Josiah, not the the military commanders, not the nation of Israel. I have sinned against God and he is cut to the heart and convicted and repentant. And if you go to Psalm 51, which the entire Psalm 51, David wrote in response to Nathan confronting him, David says, for I know my transgressions and my sin is ever before me against you, you only have I sinned. And he's writing this prayer to God against you, God, and you only have I sinned. So do you 
Do you look at your sin like that? And do you realize fully the gravity of sin and that it is against God and not merely against some person? We need to see it like that, and Jonah needs to see it like that because he has defied a command of God with his actions and thoughts and words. And it was a personal decision that he made against God. We are far too man-centered when we evaluate our sins. Think about it. We, we're too broken about what we've done to someone, and I like that we're there but we need to be broken when we realize what we've done against God. That's how serious sin is. And what's worse, when we sin, we do really senseless things, foolish things. I'm going to tell you, I'm going to use some strong language here. When we sin, that in and of itself was foolish, but what we do after it is downright stupid. Because you know what we do? We're prone to run. Jonah ran from God. He sinned. He decided not to heed the call of God and to go to Nineveh, and he runs from God. And this is stupid for two reasons at least. Number one, you cannot flee the presence of the sovereign and almighty God. You're stupid. I'm stupid when I run from God because it is impossible to get away from him. And number two, it's stupid because I am running from the only solution to my sin. Do you understand that? You see the stupidity in running from God? Because he's the father, open arms, prodigal son saying, come back, come back. And I'm running from him. Senseless, foolish, stupid. This started long ago. Genesis chapter 3, Adam and Eve sinned. They ate of the tree that God said don't eat of. And what did they do? Anybody? They hid from God, right? Impossible, and they ran and hid from the only source, the only solution to their sin. Well, guess what? This has trickled down all through history. And Jonah defies God, and he runs and he hides from God who's impossible to hide from and who's his only solution. And you and I struggle with the same things that Jonah did. So we will see that Jonah did this very thing that started in the garden. And we're going to see today specifically the danger that we experience when we defy God's will and we run from him in our sins. So let's pick up in verse 4 of Jonah chapter 1. Let me read for us uh, 4 through, through 5, the first part of 5. But the Lord hurled a great wind upon the sea, and there was a mighty tempest on the sea, so that the ship threatened to break up. The mariners were afraid, and each cried out to his God, and they hurled the cargo that was in the ship into the sea to lighten it for them. So here we see that Jonah has bolted from God's call to go to Nineveh, and he has now gone down to Joppa, and he gets on a boat to go to Tarshish, and God starts the pursuit of this fugitive named Jonah. And we're going to look at three things here this morning. Number one, God pursues the fugitive, Jonah. Number two, God exposes the fugitive, Jonah. And number three, we're going to see in a miraculous turn of events that God saves the pagans in spite of Jonah. 
So those are the three things that we're going to look at. Let's first look at God pursuing this fugitive. And I want you to see how long-suffering and patient God is. Because God could have smoked Jonah, could have just drowned him instead of rescued him, because that's what he ultimately does, and said, I'll find another person to go to Nineveh. But God set his sights on Jonah and said, he's the man that will go to Nineveh for me, and I will get him there regardless of how he operates. And so God pursues you and me just like that. We need to know this morning that God's not this angry being up in the heavens that's striking people that go against him. No, he is pursuing you, and he's even doing it this morning in the hearing of this word. He's calling you and saying, don't be like Jonah. And maybe you are a Jonah right now, and he's just saying, come back to me. I am the solution to what ails you. Nothing else will satisfy you. That's a long-suffering, patient God. And that's who I proclaim to you this morning. That's a God that we love to worship, right? So secondly, we see that our sins, this is a big deal, our sins have a profound impact on other people. These sailors, they are pagans. They do not follow God. But they are in this horrible storm out on the sea because of Jonah's sinfulness. They've been going out to the sea month after month, year after year. But never have they seen a a storm like this. So the sin of Jonah, look at the impact that it's having on other people that are oblivious to what's going on. We need to understand that our sins are not isolated events in our lives. There is a massive spillover effect of our sins. I want you to think about it. How about a parent? When a parent sins, it has effect on the children. And that goes from a broad range of activities. When, you, when a parent sins at work and gets fired, there's now going to be detrimental impact on the children and the wife of that family if it's a husband. When parents separate, you know that that has a profound impact on children. And God said what, what God joined together, let no man separate. When, when a businessman fails and sins in running his company, and it has to get shut down. Look at the carnage and the collateral damage that spills to all the employees of that business. When a church member sins, I want you to look at the effect that it has on a body that gathers together regularly. It affects us. And oh, when a pastor sins, look at the impact that it can have on a congregation of people. But you know what? Sin can be forgiven in all of those scenarios. But what the real problem is, is when those people are unrepentant and it keeps festering the wound and it keeps spilling over and causing damage in other people's lives. So we are going to fall. We struggle with this flesh and we will until the Lord comes again. But we need to be quick to be turned back to God. And we do not need to stay in in an unrepentant state because the damages will be far found on a multitude of people. And we see here in this verse that the mariners in verse 5, they all cried out to their God. But I'm telling you that that was to no avail because their God is spelled in the Bible with a little g, isn't it? They don't worship the one true God. The one man on this boat whose prayers would do any good is Jonah. Is Jonah. And yet, look at what Jonah is doing. Pick up with me in the last part of verse 5. 
But Jonah had gone down into the inner part of the ship and had lain down and was fast asleep. So the captain came to him and said, What do you mean, you sleeper? Arise, call out to your God. Perhaps the God will give us a thought to us that we may not perish. It's amazing. Here we see Jonah down in the bowels of this ship asleep in the middle of a storm. This is the Old Testament version of Uncle Si in the Duck Commander warehouse, right? Sleeping on a pallet of inventory when he's supposed to be working, but it's worse. He's in a ship. They're going to die. The, the Septuagint, the translation of the Hebrew Bible into Greek by some Jewish rabbis before the turn of the, when, when B.C. went to A.D., like the last century of, the, of, of B.C., when they translated this, they used the word snoring, and I'm just, that's why I'm hearing Uncle Si in this analogy, right? Snoring in the bowels of a ship while the storm is going about on the outside. That's funny, but it's really indicative of something that goes on in all of us. See, Jonah's deep sleep was the effect of the sin in his life. It was the effect of the sin in his life. When we sin, we must be quick to repent. Quick to repent. Otherwise, we will be able to go to sleep with a clean conscience and never be turned from the peril that waits for us. And also, when we are unrepentant and we are living in a state of sin, it grinds us down, does it not? You weary when you're living under sin and you're carrying this sack of sin on your back and it's like 300 pounds. You're weary and you just want to put it down and you just want to go to sleep. And I'm going to call you this morning to not go to sleep, but to repent and to come up out of the bowels of that ship and live for the glory of God. That's what we've got to be about. But Jonah is still running and he's still unrepentant and so he's sleeping in his slumberous, sinful state. Second point in the sermon, God exposes the fugitive. Watch this. Watch this. Verse 7. And they said to one another, Come, let us cast lots, that we may know on whose account this evil has come upon us. So they cast lots, and the lot fell on Jonah. Watch out here, because we're seeing very, very clearly in vivid color the sovereignty of God. Here's pagan sailors. Casting lots to see whose fault this is. And God sovereignly says, that'd be Jonah. Let your man Jonah down there. Talk to him about all this and see what he has to say. I love Proverbs 16:33. The lot is cast into the lap, but it's every decision is from the Lord. You know what? Hey, Las Vegas, dice table, those dice come up as God decrees them to come up. There's no random chance in God's universe. God says double sixes or not. And God says here, cast lots, I'll make certain that my man will be exposed because I'm going to expose the food fugitive that is amongst you. Then in verse 8, then they said to him, tell us on whose account this evil has come upon us. What is your occupation and where do you come from? What is your country? And of what people are you? I just picture men standing around him because it says they said to him. So one man saying, where did you, what's your occupation? One man saying, where did you come from? One man says, what nation are you of? And all these guys are peppering with questions. And watch Jonah. 
And he said to them, I am a Hebrew, and I fear the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the dry land. And then the men were exceedingly afraid and said to him, What is this that you have done? For the men knew that he was fleeing from the presence of the Lord because he had told them. So take a note of the order of Jonah's answers here. Who are you? First of all, what is your occupation? Jonah never answers that question. What a fraud to say, I'm a prophet of the Lord, right? He does not answer that question. He has resigned his position, perhaps. But notice, who are you? Where do you come from? He says, I'm a Hebrew. First. So he finds his identity in a title. And second, he says, I fear God. Oh, we need to say, first of all, I fear God, and I am then a Hebrew, a Christian. Be careful with this. Be careful with this. Do you call yourself a Christian, yet live a life that rails against that proclamation? There are so many. We live in in a country and in a culture right now that is so Christianized that it's Christless. Christianity in some circles in our nation has become a brand, not a faith, not a relationship with a living God in Jesus Christ. And you know as well as I do many people that say, I'm a Christian, and yet their life screams out, I don't have anything to do with Jesus Christ. Don't be that person. Don't find your identity in a label, in a name. Find your identity in the living God and live out a holy and right and good and healthy fear of him. But here we have Jonah saying, I'm a Hebrew and I fear God. What a hypocrite because he does not fear God. He's run from God. He's defied God. There is no fear in that. Do not be that person claiming the name but not following the name urgent that we don't do that and it says here that these men when they hear this they are exceedingly afraid but Jonah is in a deep sleep before all this we've got it backwards here Jonah is not in a position of confidence right now certain that his sovereign God will deliver them through this because he knows he's the cause of the problem pick up in verse 11 now then they said to him What shall we do to you that the sea may quiet down for us? For the sea grew more and more tempestuous. He said to them, Pick me up and hurl me into the sea, and then the sea will quiet down for you. For I know it is because of me that this great tempest has come upon you. Nevertheless, the men rode hard to get back to the dry land, and they could not, for the sea grew more and more tempestuous against them. What's going on here? What's, what's Jonah saying when he says, throw me into the sea? Perhaps he's beginning to repent and turn his heart back to God because he realizes now that it, he is the cause of this. Or maybe he thinks that he's come to the end of the line and he's about to be done in by God and God's given up on him and God's going to kill me now. Just throw me into the ocean and drown me and everything will be fine. Don't know what's going on through his mind, but we still, we still see no sign of repentance in Jonah, do we? Repentance would have looked like this, perhaps. Hey, guys, turn this boat back to the east 
and let's make it back for Joppa. And if we turn this boat and I go heed the word of the Lord, this storm perhaps will stop. He doesn't say that. He doesn't repent and say, I need to go obey the God that called me to go to Nineveh. Let's go do it. He says, chunk me over the side. I hear give up. God's written me off. There's no way God would pursue me. I've defied him. I deserve to drown. You guys don't deserve this. Let me just get out of your midst and you'll be okay. And then look what happens. Jonah would not tell them what is your occupation. He didn't answer that question. But here Jonah has given a prophecy that will become true. Jonah says, you throw me overboard and the seas will calm and you will be okay. That's a prophecy. That's a word from the Lord. And they do it and it happens. Wow. But notice the men, even these pagan men, they they hear that. Verse 13 says, nevertheless, just like all of us, they just ducked their head and started rowing as hard as they could. But it was to no avail because God cranked up the pressure of the storm all the more. Because God will get his man. So God increases the tension. And now we see, number three, that God saves the pagans. Verse 14. Therefore, they called out to the Lord, O Lord, let us not perish for this man's life and lay not on us innocent blood. For you, O Lord, have done as it pleased you. So they picked up Jonah and they hurled him into the sea and the sea ceased from its raging. And then the men feared the Lord exceedingly and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows. Wow. Pagan sailors have been converted to followers and fearers of God. Look at this. First of all, they pray to the Lord and they abandon their gods. If you look back up in the passage, you'll see when every man is scared and they're praying to their God, that's a God with a little g. When you look at the pagan sailor's prayer here in verse 14, they called out to the Lord. Oh, Lord. And what's unique about Lord in your Bible? You see it? It's all caps, isn't it? That is a reference in English to the Hebrew name Yahweh. Yahweh is the Hebrew name for the divine, almighty, sovereign God, the great I Am. It was such a holy name that the Hebrew people would not pronounce the name Yahweh. Verbally, they would only write it. And they would say instead of Yahweh, they'd say Adonai. They took that word with such reverence and fear. They were not worthy to speak the name of God, the true name of God. And here these pagan sailors are speaking Yahweh, the name of God, not some nebulous, generic, little g-god. They are calling upon the name God. That's the song that we sang, right? Yahweh, Yahweh, we love to shout your name. These sailors are shouting the name of God at the top of their lungs in belief. Because they are calling out to him. That's called prayer. (laughs) They are praying to Yahweh. They feared the Lord exceedingly, it says. Look down in verse 16. Then the men feared the Lord exceedingly. When you fear the Lord, you believe in the Lord. And you respect and revere him. And then look what they do. They offer sacrifice to Yahweh. These are things believers do. Not pagans. These men have been converted. And the evidence is found in the reverence that they have for the sovereignty of God 
the embracing of the superiority of God over all those other false gods that they proclaim to. And we even see it in their respect for the sanctity of human life. Because they say, God, forgive us as we throw this man overboard. That are the, those are the words and those are the actions of people who love and fear Yahweh, the God of all gods, the one true living God. So while Scripture is silent on their conversion, I think we can be faithful to the passage and see that there is conversion that's happening here. Otherwise, they would have merely chunked this guy overboard, seas would have calmed, and they would have headed for Tarshish. But no, there's prayer, and there is fear, and there is sacrifice. Verse 17, And then the Lord appointed a great fish to swallow up Jonah, and Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. Tragically, that's often all people know about the book of Jonah. Got swallowed by a fish, was there three days and three nights. There's so much more, I hope, that you've seen so far as we've spent two Sundays on this. There's so much more in the book of Jonah that we need. But suffice it to say right now, we'll spend some more time next week on verse 17. Suffice it to say right now, God disciplines his children. That's why I read Hebrews 12 earlier. God disciplines his legitimate children children otherwise we're illegitimate we see that jonah is a child of god who gets pursued by a loving and passionate father last week i told you about the progression the downward spiral of jonah i want to i want to walk this through there's eight steps that we can trace with jonah right now first of all when god said go to nineveh jonah didn't he went down to joppa in verse three then he went down into the ship, still in verse 3. Then in verse 5, then he went down into the inner part of the ship. You see him going? And then watch this. Jonah laid down. He's getting as low as he can. And then Jonah was in a deep sleep. So he's even low when he's low. And then watch. Jonah's thrown into the sea. He's going to go even lower than he was. And then what happens? Jonah's swallowed by a fish. So now he's down in the depths of a fish. And then what happens? In chapter 2, verse 6, we see that Jonah is taken to the bottom of the sea. He can't get any lower. He's run from God, and God throttles him with his rod of discipline. And it's all not to strike him and take his life. It's all to bring him back. Do you feel that your life is in some kind of spiral like this? Were you going down and down and down and down? What stops Jonah's downward spiral? One thing. Repentance. No circumstance is going to rise up to change his future. It's going to come to repentance or not. And that's true for you and me. If we want to stop the downward spiral and shrink the distance between us and God, it takes a repentance and a turning and a going in the opposite direction back to him. And Jonah's not there yet. Are you there? Do you hold up Jonah chapter 1, and do you say, wow, I'm looking in a mirror right now. Some of you are. I've had moments where I have looked into the mirror of Jonah chapter 1. We all have. But we've got a God that's hounding us like a hound from heaven, to call us back and to embrace us as his legitimate children. Will you please consider this and take him up on his offer to come back?
Hebrews 10, 31. It is a fearful thing to fall into the hand of the living God. I think Jonah knows all about that verse because he's feeling it very, very clearly. So let me conclude. I think what we have here, there's an underlying theme that's jumping out of this that I want to acknowledge, but then I want to look at four life lessons real quickly that we can gain from this. The first thing that's just jumping out of the pages of the Bible at me when I read this is that uh, the subtitle, for lack of a better, the subtitle of Jonah could be Evangelism in the Sovereignty of God. Because here these pagan sailors are saved by God or brought into a right relationship to him in spite of an unfaithful Hebrew God-fearer. God is sovereign in that he brings these sailors into becoming legitimate children of his in spite of the disobedience of his prophet that should have been doing this over in Nineveh, by the way. So in his sovereignty, he ordains that Nineveh not yet is going to be saved. These sailors are going to be saved. And so we see here that God is sovereign in all things, including salvation, and man is responsible. And oftentimes, in spite of our actions, God still in his sovereignty wins his people. That's a God worth worshiping. And so we need to be, yes, ambitious and faithful to take the gospel to people that God tells us to. And we don't need to worry because even in our inadequacies, God will still save his people the right time in the right moment that's good news so we need to go and be faithful because Jonah is not faithfully evangelizing these sailors is he he did not take the message to these sailors and preach to these sailors until he's confronted and the sermon he preached is hey my God can do something about this storm you throw me over and it's done that's the sermon and he didn't intend to preach that one did he so God in his sovereignty saves those that he sets out to save But now let's look at four life lessons that we can't leave here without looking at quickly. Number one, you can run, but you can't hide from God. Don't try. Do not try to run from the living God. Jonah is a testament that it will not work. Number two, God is merciful to pursue us at great lengths rather than discard us and draw again. You know the ultimate length that God used to pursue us? took on human flesh. He became one of us. And he hunted us down on this earth through his son, Jesus Christ. Number three, Jonah thought running from God would make him free. But instead, he is the ultimate prisoner down in the bowels of a fish at the bottom of the sea. He is in prison. He's not free. Yet he set out running thinking freedom was waiting for him in Tarshish. Wrong. There's no freedom in running from God for any of us, ever. And we don't want it. We don't want it. Lastly, and this one I want to camp out on, I want to backtrack to Jonah. He runs down to Joppa, defying the command of the Lord. And in his running down to Joppa, he just so happens to get there when there's a boat that's ready to sail for Tarshish. By the way, Tarshish is as far east on the nautical maps of that day and age that you could get away from Nineveh. Okay? It's on the edge of the world. If you get past Tarshish, the world's flat and you're going to drop off. That's what they thought back then. Okay? Game over. So he's going as far away as he possibly can. So could Jonah, when he gets down to Joppa, could, could Jonah in the moment see this as an affirmation or a gift from God? 
You know what we say? We all say this. We have these moments when something good happens to us, and you know what we say kind of casually? We say, oh, it's a God thing. I've said that. You've said it, haven't you? Oh, it's a God thing. It's just a God thing. Could Jonah have gone to Joppa and found this boat heading for Tarshish and said, ah, it's a God thing. The boat's here and ready for me. Look at the timing. This couldn't be any better. I'm affirmed on this. God's blessing me. I'm going. I think he could have done that. Scripture doesn't say that. So let's don't press it too far. But in spite of this nagging conviction that he had to have had, he sees this boat as a blessing from God perhaps. This ship sitting in the port of Joppa was no blessing, was no means of escape from God. No, it's clearly revealed that this is going to be an instrument, (laughs) an instrument in the hands of a sovereign God. It's going to be the rod of God's discipline on his servant, his legitimate son, Jonah. So we need to be real careful. You know, we live in a day that puts a premium on experience. I don't care if we're going to Disney World or we're coming to church. We all are craving this experience. I need an experience. I need a religious experience. And we need to be real sober-minded. And we need to understand, first of all, that God communicates his will to us fundamentally and primarily right here. Not in experiences. Because there is an evil one that rules this world. And those experiences that we're claiming could very easily be from the enemy and not from God. So we cannot be experience-based Christians. We must be Bible-based Christians. God will communicate his will to us through the word. And sometimes it's confirmed with experiences, yes. But experience isn't first in the pecking order at all. It's last It's confirmation, gravy, whipping cream on top. So we must remember that God communicates his will to us fundamentally and primarily through his word, and it is a mistake to solely look for God's guidance in our lives. We cannot find God's guidance through our impressions and the way we feel because we're fallen humans, and our feelings are messed up and distorted. It cannot be feelings-based when we say, God's told me to go do this. Secondly, we can't just merely lean on circumstances. You know, we can't take a random statement from a random person in our life. Hey, Edward, 22-year-old guy, hey, Edward, you don't know me, but God told me you're going to be a pastor. Really? If, 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 If I'm standing here today as your pastor, and the only thing that I can tell you is some random person that I've never seen before told me that I'm going to be a pastor, you don't want me. Because I need to be able to show you in here and through a multitude of people who are submitted to this Bible, yeah, I'm called to be this. But it can't be an experience with a random encounter that happened 22 years ago. Secondly, I can't tell you I'm called to be your pastor because I had a dream. Dreams don't get it done. Dreams might be a part of God revealing it to you, but if those dreams contradict this, you need to throw the dreams out. Just because things line up and I can go get this job or I can marry this person, it does not mean that that is the will of God. Because my feelings are saying that's it, 
But God's word is totally contradicting because that woman right there is married to another man right now. God would never tell me to marry that woman, ever. You know, the people, I've talked to one person one time, three years ago as a matter of fact, who was divorcing her husband, and there's this man waiting to marry her, and she says, it's clear, it's a God thing. God's provided me this man, that's who I'm supposed to marry, and I have to divorce him to get to that man. No. Total contradiction. What God has joined together, let no man separate. God is not telling you to marry that man. He's telling you to run back to this man and be faithful to him. You see how feelings can so distort our perceptions and and our decisions in life? So we cannot take random thoughts. We cannot merely take dreams and proclaim them to be the will of the Lord. And we cannot even take events. And Jonah cannot say, there's a ship heading to Tarshish right when I get to Joppa. It's a blessing from the Lord. It's a God thing. He can't do it. So take heed. Be cautious to say it's a God thing. There are moments when we can say it's a God thing. But boy, there's a lot of moments that we can't. Let's know the difference. Let's know the difference. So Jonah's lesson for us is that we should not be guided by our circumstances. We should not get on that boat unless God's word tells us to get on that boat because that boat is heading for rough seas. We can't take the events of our life as instruction when we have not taken God's word as a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path. And so this is why we have urged the congregation in the last couple of days to embark on an ambitious 2013. And we're asking all of us to read the entire Bible this year. We've put three Bible reading calendars out on our website. Would you please go there, print it off, and join us as a congregation, what would God do with us if all of us in this room were devoted to reading this through this whole year? What would he do? We've got scripture memory. We're going to memorize one verse a week this year. Would you join us in putting this lamp into your feet and memorizing scripture so that you can discern the circumstances in your life and you could maybe even discern the dreams that you have and you can discern what people are saying to you in a biblical way, and rightly understand what God's will is for you in your life? Would you join us in doing that? There's, a, there's an important message here that we have to know God's will through his word lest we drift and get onto the wrong boat and tumultuous seas are waiting on us. And I ask you this morning to consider that seriously and to see what God would do with you as an individual and us as a church if we would all embark on being about his word. Let's pray. Father, we look into Jonah's life here, and I know every one of us in this room, including me, can reflect on a time in our life when we sinned against you and we ran from you. We all identify with this. I thank you, Father, that Many of us you have pursued and recaptured and brought us back to you. Father, if there's anyone in this room right now that is running from you in their sin, unrepentant, I pray two things, Father. I pray first that you would throttle them with rough seas, that you would establish a fish to swallow them up, 
and that you would have that fish preserve their life but take them to the bottom of the ocean to get their attention. And then I pray, Father, that you would have that person be drawn back to you and that person would repent to you and call you Yahweh. Father, this is so important. It's so important you inspired the Bible. You inspired Jonah to record his biography for us. Help us, Father, to learn from it and embrace it and be changed as a result of it. And I pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen.